On the show today, we will be discussing how to rank different Christian doctrine. Also, AI's encroachment in the Christian faith. And we have a neat archaeological find we'll discuss. We are glad you are here. Let's get to the show. Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer. This is my beautiful wife, Nikki. Hello. And we're just grateful that you're joining us. If you're new here, we like to say it up front and early that we ourselves are not religionless. We're very Christian folks. Uh, but the world, and especially this nation that we're in, is not. It's increasingly secular, increasingly religionless. And that, at least in part, is where the name comes from. So, we're going to be doing today what we try to do every week, and that's just, you know, look at the news around us from the world and, you know, try to understand it from a Christian perspective as best we can. Look at, you know, podcasts, books, videos, all sorts of different things to help us live a life that's pleasing to God. And I think we found one this week that we're going to be discussing, talking about doctrine. Um, but before we get into all of that, is there anything you'd like to say? Prayer request? praise reports, anything of that sort? Yeah, it was a little, I guess, praise report. I was very overwhelmed just starting the, just all the kids starting a different activity, um, a class or something for the, for the year and just being busy. Um, I write everything down, you know, the calendar. Once I got all in the calendar on my phone, I was like, that looks crazy. That looks stressful. And now that we're kind of in the flow of it, I don't know. I have peace and I just thank God just that he gives us peace when we need it in the moment. He gives us grace in the moment and it hasn't been as bad as I anticipated. So I just praise God for his peace. Yeah. And just pray for us, I suppose, um, in order to deal with some of that stress, Nikki's going to be stepping away from, she didn't work a lot, um, but she's going to be stepping away from her work just to help, you know, take care of the home, which is her first and most important duty for sure. And uh, so just pray for us that God would bless us. He has blessed us um, with a good mm -hmm. job that's able to take care of us. But, you know, uh, we live in a material society where um, having <laughs> money is very important. So um, he again, he has blessed us and we are, you know, we're not destitute, but just, you know, pray that we're able to I don't know, just continue on as things have always continued on. And Nikki will be um, able to take care of the home better and the kids better and all that. And, uh, you know, we'll yeah. just do fine and survive and thrive. <laughs> so pray for us there. Yeah, we used to be, we were fine before. I mean, we've always, it always was a little harder when I didn't work, I guess. But yeah, priorities, homeschooling the kids, just... I just think I need to do um, a little better, being uh, just making sure the kids are doing their work. Like they're old enough to do stuff on their own, but that's the problem. They they're need old enough to more do supervision. It on their own. Why don't <laughs> yes. they? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, the endless fight. But yeah, so just pray for us there. Um, so we'll go ahead. We'll get these plugs knocked out, and then we will jump into. The, uh, the discussion topic here, which I think is a really good one. So you guys know that we're 
proud members of the Christian Podcast community, um, which is a great place to go and find about 55 to 60 good Christian podcasts from a whole host of topics from, you know, the quest for truth uh, down here, just scrolling through the different shows that are on here, small town theologian, all God's women, you know, so bunch of different topics that are discussed here, and they're all, you know, good Christian men and women, not all of the same necessarily theological bent. So uh, go check out the website. It'll be listed in the show notes. See if there's maybe something in addition to our podcast that you want to give a listen to. I'm sure you would find it well-pleasing. And then also, um, just saw another article as I was scrolling through and thought, ought to mention it, right? Uh, 13 Christians killed every day in the world because of their faith. And um, Christian persecution is on the rise in this world. But that doesn't mean that we should shrink away from our uh, command to take the gospel into all the nations. Uh, That command has not departed us. So we need to do it, but it's dangerous. Uh, So you guys know we love Cardinal Contingency Solutions. They can help you as you take the gospel into the nations especially these dangerous nations. Their travel risk management can help you prepare before you step out the door. So if you feel called to go into all the world to carry the gospel of Christ, we commend you and we want you to do that. But we want you to do it as prepared as possible so that you don't find yourself in a situation where you're one of those 13 um, or you're one of the missionaries in Haiti that gets rolled up and, you know, thrown in jail, or whatever happens to be. You can be prepared before you step out the door. Know what risks are awaiting you, how to handle those, how to keep you and your team safe and get home safely. So reach out to Cardinal, give them a phone call, send them an email, see what they can do for you, for your your church, your uh, ministry, whatever it happens to be. I do not think you'll be disappointed. And then lastly here, our shameless plug. We need to get it out of the way. If you want to help the show here, The easiest way you can do that is just drop a like, subscribe, you know, if you're on Facebook, YouTube, Rumble, whatever it happens to be, um, or if your podcast platform, you know, follow, subscribe, whatever it asks you to do. That stuff certainly helps us out. If you can take a moment to maybe leave a review, you know, if you're on Spotify, Apple podcast, those things help out immensely. And we're very grateful for those that would take the time to do that. And then um, if you want to help the show financially, um, again, we would appreciate that as well. Uh, We have links in the show notes for affiliate links to like Amazon, Best Buy and stuff. And then we also have a link down there for buy me a coffee and a Patreon page that we recently just kind of stood up. So if you want to support the show financially that way, we're not giving you anything unique or special um, other than we're trying to get a community prayer list started. If you sign up as a patron, you get access to the community prayer list, and we're going to ask that you would give us your prayer request so that we can pray with you and that you would pray with us. Um, That's all that's there, at least for now. So, all right, Um, that's the plugs. Let's get to the stories. So today, like Nikki had mentioned, we want to discuss doctrine. Um... This is not something we necessarily talk about in depth on this show, and frankly, it's because a lot of people don't really find it compelling radio to have deep discussions on doctrine. Um, But also because, as we've mentioned many times before on this show, we're not theologians, we're not 
even pastors or apologists, you know, so a lot of times deep doctrinal discussions, as they say, are above our pay grade. So that's why we don't really get into it too much, but we are going to discuss doctrine today. Yeah, you don't have to be a pastor or theologian to know what God says. It is No, and we should all care about doctrine. I yes, mean, again, we should care. <laughs> that's why we're going to discuss it, um, because it is something that is important to all of us. So we want to talk about it, but we want to talk about it more in the vein of what we should consider of high importance and what we should consider of maybe lesser importance when it comes to doctrine. Mm-hmm. So I listened to a great podcast this week, which is what spurred us into this direction. Um, It was the first episode of season three of the MacArthur Center podcast, and it was titled Drivetrain. Uh, It was a great episode, as they've all Mm -hmm. been great. But this episode, season three, episode one, seeks to help Christians understand how to view doctrine in the church and in our lives. That was kind of the main point of the episode. And it opens and kind of uses for the backdrop, uh, the I guess it was the 2023 Southern Baptist Convention, and really Rick Warren's plea from that convention that female pastors, you know, are not important enough of an issue to divide over. So that was kind of the backdrop that they used. And, you know, I've heard many people over my life make this claim about one doctrinal issue or another, you know, kind of the idea that some doctrine is non-essential or of less importance than some other doctrine. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Rick Rick, uh, Rick Warren is not unique in that situation there. Um, but I think this episode highlights some great points that we should consider when it comes to doctrines and their levels of importance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I do want to just start with uh, sort of Rick Warren here so we can kind of re-cage you know, listen to what his actual plea was there from the Southern Baptist Convention. So let's give that a listen, and then we'll get into the discussion. What we share in common is a mutual commitment to the inerrancy and the infallibility of God's Word and to the Great Commission of Jesus Christ. No one is asking any Southern Baptist to change their theology. I'm not asking you to agree with my church. I am asking you to act like a Southern Baptist who have historically agreed to disagree on dozens of doctrines in order to share a common mission. We should remove churches for all kinds of sexual sin, racial sin, financial sin, leadership sin, sins that harm the testimony of our convention. But the 1,928 churches with women on pastoral staff have not sinned. If doctrinal disagreements between Baptists are considered sin, we all get kicked out. You'll never get 100% of Baptists to agree 100% on 100% of doctrine. What disturbed me is he said at first, like, they've disagreed on dozens of doctrine. Like, but it matters which ones those are. And dozens is, that's a lot. It is a lot, for sure. Um, (laughs) Though, you know, we're not Southern Baptists, so I don't know necessarily the full list of doctrines in which they disagree on, but um, yeah, yeah, I guess that is pretty interesting on the wide-ranging beliefs. And again, I don't know if that's true or not. Just because Rick Warren says it doesn't necessarily mean that it's actually true. 
But um, and not to mention, just a side note, that every Southern Baptist church, from my understanding, has agreed to adhere to their Southern or their Baptist faith and message. So if the disagreements aren't in accordance with the Southern ba- or the Baptist faith and message, then sure, have a disagreement. But if you signed off on agreeing to a certain set of doctrines according to their faith and message, then you kind of signed off on it. But, um, you know, contracts in the year of 2023 seem to mean very little. But, uh, right, we all remember this. Um, for the most part, if you're plugged into sort of American Christianity, you remember this. Rick Warren, he wasn't alone, though. He was among many others that went to the SBC they went to that convention to try to advocate that the Southern Baptist Convention changes their stance, essentially change their denomination's charter to allow women as pastors, because it's a issue of lesser importance, you know, to them, to them, right? Mm-hmm. That was Rick Warren's claim. Essentially, like you said, we disagree on a whole bunch of stuff. So why make a big deal out of female pastors? And a few years ago, I may have agreed with Rick Warren on this issue. Why make a big deal out of something that isn't a gospel or salvation issue? Mm-hmm. However, and maybe unsurprisingly, <laughs> I no longer share that view. Uh, I think that as we go through this episode, you'll understand why and understand why I think you shouldn't agree with that view either. So uh, we have a handful of clips to play here to kind of make this case. So We'll dive into this first one and then, um, yeah, just try to keep this ball rolling here. What I'm interested in is Warren's argument, how he ranks these certain doctrines as more important than another. Is he right when he claims the role of women in the church isn't that big of a deal? Is that an issue on which good and godly people can disagree? And what issues fall into that category? and which ones are not up for debate. What Rick Warren is really doing at the convention is ranking doctrines. He's saying that the issue of women pastors isn't as big a deal as, say, sexual sin. And what he's doing there is very important as he prioritizes doctrines. And it's something that every Christian needs to learn to do. But I wanna show you how to do it well, because I believe Rick Warren is doing it wrong. Yeah, you know, again, you know, this is why we believe the topic is important, you know, and while we're not going to sit here today and tell you all of the doctrines in the Christian faith that are of high importance or the ones that aren't, uh, we think that the principle this podcast lays out is sound, uh, which again is why we're talking about it, right? How should we rank doctrine? Now, there may be some out there, the Christian purists, uh, that would say we shouldn't, right? We shouldn't rank doctrine at all. And in a sense, I would say we agree, I guess, right? Uh, it's all God's word and revealed from him to us. And therefore, yes, in a sense, it's all important. I mean, I think about like in the Old Testament, all the laws, everything God spoke um, to the Israelites, what to do, what not to do, and even something small. It was a big deal. Like he even talked about the consequences for even seemingly small things. Like if someone's like gathering sticks on the Sabbath, they didn't ignore that. No. I'm pretty sure he was like, 
cut off. And in that vein, <laughs> it's it's true to say, well, who are we to rank it, right? If God told us it's all important. And of course, we certainly believe that. But there is a seriousness about everything God commands, everything in his word. And I don't know where this idea came from to take some things with a grain of salt that God said, like, God said it. It's in his word. Like, it's kind of like those that lady on that um, uh, episode we did maybe the time two weeks ago um, where she was like, no, Paul said that. Jesus didn't say that. Are you going to believe Paul? Are you going to believe oh, Jesus? Yeah, the, the Christian <sighs> female pastors from yeah. Christianity So today. it's like maybe, maybe Rick Warren has that same mindset about scripture? Well, I don't, I I mean, I don't think he would say that. He, you know, again, we've talked about this before. He sort of muddles the verses and, you know, he points to some of the less clear teachings. um, He says they're less clear. Yeah. Yeah. So he's not necessarily saying Paul, Paul's teachings aren't of the same level as Christ's teachings. He's just saying like, um, we got it wrong necessarily in our understanding of what they were teaching. So uh, I don't think he's necessarily as heretical as yeah. those women were. Yeah, that, that, that was, was pretty a whole bad. Different level, <laughs> but um, but I think this idea, you know, that well, we shouldn't rank any of them because they're all of the utmost importance. I think while that may be true in a sense, I think to hold to that strict standard that you know it's all of equal importance would cause us, at least I think to divide in unhealthy ways, mm-hmm. you know, because if everything is of the same importance, you know, then we're going to have to almost, in a sense, divide over everything, you know, mm-hmm. even something like tithing, right? It's all the same importance, even tithing, you know, so your church is, your church passes the bucket around and preaches a 10% tithe. But dividing but, over something, it's like you're saying you don't believe the person with the opposing view is even part of the body of Christ. It's like we don't. Right, that's what I mean. Like cut you're each other have off to for say that. Whatever the issue is, right? You know, so if tithing. If you your church teaches differently on tithing than mine, that's enough of an issue because it's all of the same grave importance. We can't fellowship with you. We preach a ten percent tithe. You pre- preach a joyful offering. We can't have fellowship anymore because it's all that serious. That would be. That seems silly to mm-hmm. me, right? And I think it's foolish, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think in a sense, we all have to rank to some degree or another. We have to decide what's important to divide over, what's important enough to divide over, and what's a difference we can tolerate. Your church preaches a 10% tithe. Their church preaches a joyful offering. All right. And it is a matter of do right? you see that as sin as disobedience. And it's like, well, is that member in unrepentant sin? I guess it'll come down to, do you see it that serious where you would stop fellowship with them? Yeah. So you, in a sense, have to rank and we all rank to some degree. So just wanted to make that point. While we agree, yes, it is all of grave importance, you know, in a sense, because it is all from God. Right, we have to find ways to not just divide over every, you know, you're a King James onlyist. Oh gosh, I'll yeah. never have fellowship with you. All right, well, settle down then. So, <laughs> um, let's hear John MacArthur explain 
you know, as we go through this, the sort of first order of doctrine that is essential. This is the stuff that we cannot compromise on in the Christian faith. I call it the drivetrain. I mean, you've got you've got the the whole vehicle, which would be the composite of all theology and biblical truth. But the drivetrain is what matters. You have to have the true God, who is a triune God. You have to have the God who is the creator and sustainer and judge of the of the world and of all human beings and all angels and in control of history and sovereign. You've got to have that God. You can't you can't have another God. Secondly, you have to have Christ, who is the true Christ, who lived born of a virgin, sinless life, substitutionary death physical resurrection, ascension into heaven, um, coronation, and return, and kingdom. That's drivetrain. And then you have to have the gospel right, that the gospel is repenting and believing and confessing Jesus as Lord. So if, if if that package is there, you, you've got the substance of what are the essentials. So that's John MacArthur's drivetrain analogy there on, like he says, the essentials. These are the things we must all agree on. These are the doctrines of utmost importance, if you will. And, you know, this mm-hmm. is why, you know, like a Reformed Baptist and Pentecostals can have fellowship. You know, Lutherans and Methodists or a non-denominational Christians, they can all have fellowship. Whereas, you know, that same fellowship can't be had with Mormons or Jehovah's Witness because they get the drivetrain wrong. You know, their views of God, salvation, Christ, those types of essential drivetrain issues are wrong. And therefore, while we can still, you know, have relationship with them, we can't have Christian fellowship with them because right. they get the big, the utmost important doctrines wrong, you know, and I think most Christians by and large will agree on the drivetrain issues. You know, you hear, hear them other times be called like the essentials or the non-essential doctrines. Um, so that's kind of, I think, the first order that we have to have um, in agreement. And I think generally most Christians, again, outside of the more, I guess, cultic, cultish type Christians, the Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, all tend to agree on. So um, let's hear what else, though, ought to be included into the first tier doctrine. And I think this is the more interesting and, I guess, thought-provoking part of this podcast. You know, what else ought to, ought to be put into this sort of first-order doctrine? The first thing I think about is what does scripture explicitly state and where what scripture explicitly states to me goes into that category of, of a first tier doctrine and things that are directly implied by what scripture explicitly states also goes into that first tier category. Key point here from Dr. Putnam. Even if an issue isn't directly related to salvation, 
it can still be first tier if it's explicit in the Bible and someone still insists on rejecting it. I think this is a great way of looking at doctrine and a very wise way of ranking doctrine. Mm-hmm. Um, not just what is of the most importance, the drivetrain, but also what is the most clearly explained in the Bible. Um, and I think this actually ties in well with the idea that all of Scripture is of equal importance. If that's sort of your mindset, then I think this ties in well with that. You know, it's all God's Word, and therefore it's all of grave importance, but not all of doctrine are, or not all of Christian doctrine is as clearly or as easily understood from Scripture, I think. You know, now on this episode, <laughs> we're not going to go through all of the, uh, the doctrines that we believe are expressly clear in Scripture. Um, we would love to know what you would consider some of the more clearly explained uh, or clearly expressed uh, doctrines in the Bible. Um, but, you know, in this line of thinking, you know, what's a first-tier doctrine because of the clarity in which it's explained? Mm-hmm. You know, and again, there's probably a lot that we could bring up here, but the one that came to my mind when I was listening to this episode um, was creation. That came to my mind as mm-hmm. a clearly expressed, therefore, first-tier doctrine. You know, I believe a young earth, you know, six literal days of creation is clearly expressed in the Bible. You know, so therefore, I guess I would consider it a first-tier doctrine, because I think if you can open your Bible up, you know, and by the very first chapter of the very first book, you already go, yeah, I don't believe that. Then why would you believe the rest of it? Like, you're setting yourself up to not believe the rest of it in the stuff that's even less clearly explained than, you know, it was morning, it was evening, the first day. And you're like, eh, maybe that's a million years. Yeah, I don't understand why people get that. It was morning, morning to evening. Yeah, so like I would say that's a clearly expressed doctrine in the Bible. A young earth, six literal days. So just stuff like that, right? It's If it's all of grave importance, well, then what's the easiest, most clearly understood things that we read in Scripture? Like, that to me is one of them. Um, So let's listen to, just real quick, John MacArthur on the clarity of Scripture. Scripture is necessarily plain because God, its author, creator, redeemer, speaks plainly to accomplish his purpose. And what is his purpose in human history? It is to redeem men and women, to gather a bride for his son. It is to bring a message of salvation so that those who were chosen before the foundation of the world in Christ can hear and believe and be saved and be brought to eternal glory as the bride of the Son of God. So, I will say, you know, I'm not as smart or as learned as John MacArthur. Maybe someday, by the grace of God, I will be, and maybe at that time the Bible will be as clear to me in its entirety uh, as it is to Pastor John. But I agree with this sentiment. 
you know, the Bible is to be understood. Mm -hmm. That's why God gave it to us. You know, he didn't give it to us. So we had no idea what he was actually saying and telling us it's, it's for us to understand. Right. Um, however, I would say that some of it is a little more difficult to nail down, but again, much of it is not difficult. You know, it just takes study. We're right. It can all be, be diligent understood. in, yeah, and try to understand it, which is possible. Yeah. If we care to know God and what he has said, we will actually study his word. And it's something we should be, all Christians should be striving yeah. to do. We should never have the mindset of like, boy, that's hard, you know, that's hard to understand. Oh, well, it's not that important. No, no, it very much is. And we ought to do the work and the, put in the you know, due diligence mm -hmm. to understand it all. But, you know, not all of it is as easy, you know, as Genesis 1. That's a little more easy to understand. There are doctrines, in, which is why there's so much difference and um, division among the Christian church, because not all of it is necessarily as easily understood. You know, the Bible didn't come to us by way of bullet point, you know. <laughs> Some of us may have wished that it did, but it didn't, right? It came by story and narrative and these sorts of things, poetry. So it's a little more difficult. Um, but again, much of it is very clearly explained, you know, like things um, such as male headship in the home and in the church, mm -hmm. kind of very clearly explained in the Bible. Um, so I guess to that note, just because it's very clearly explained, doesn't necessarily mean everyone's going to accept it. Uh, so let's listen again to Rick Warren dismiss maybe the clearest doctrine in Scripture. Everybody in the SBC believes in the inerrancy of Scripture. Now we're talking about difference of interpretation. Those particular passages, Titus, Timothy, and, and Corinthians, have hundreds, literally hundreds of interpretations we should be able to expel people over sin, racism, sexual abuse, uh, other sexual sins, things like that. But this is over, over uh, 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 you mean, wait a minute, we can disagree over the atonement. We can disagree over um, uh, um, election and, and, and we can disagree over dispensationalism. We can disagree over the second coming. We can disagree over the nature of sin, but we can't disagree over what you name your staff. He just says what you name your staff? Right, because he's saying like, you know, I decided to call my the females on my staff pastor, whereas, you know, you don't. Well, so he's making it a name thing and not actually what they do. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of wordsmithing there, right? Huh. He's trying to, ex I guess... Uh, explain away or, you know, diminish what he actually did there. So he uh, means he's saying like titles don't really mean anything is what he's saying. Yeah, you're we're dividing over a simple title. Like, well, no, we're dividing because you're dismissing, you it's know, the role the you give people, not necessarily the title alone. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and we've discussed this bit of Rick Warren many times on this show already. You know, he's kind of Again, he's chosen to dismiss the very clear teaching in favor of a much more muddled understanding of, you know, pastorship or whatever it happens to be. You know, he's saying here, man, First Timothy, it's hard to understand. It's hard to determine if male headship in the church is what's being taught there. 
even though Paul says, if you, you know, want to be an elder, husband of one wife, he's like, ah, who knows what that means? There's just so many interpretations. You can't possibly get to the bottom of it. But then he goes back. And if you listen to that or his other uh, explanations on why he's decided female pastorship is okay, well, he goes to, well, the Great Commission. That's for all people, so women should be pastors. Oh, well, Pentecost, there were women there. So so he's dismissing, again, maybe the clearest teaching in all of the Bible for a much more muddled understanding that he reaches to to support his claim. Overseeing your church and caring for their spiritual growth, um, that's a that's a big role. But just sharing the gospel, um, yeah, that's that's for everyone. That is a, a big thing, but it's not a role. That's not a title. Like we're all right. we're all to share the gospel. That doesn't mean I now have this role. I don't know. Right. I don't know why it's so hard. Putting, <laughs> you know, like I said, the more, more I guess, broad in you know ministry ideas that everyone is supposed to be sharing the gospel, you know, hey, Pentecost happened, the Holy Ghost came, and there were women there, and they spoke in tongue, whatever happens to be. So that means, but again, Paul is teaching something very clear, again, not hard to understand, unless you purposefully are trying to, I guess, make it confusing. Um, so again, this is the idea of ranking doctrine, like um, Austin Duncan, the podcast host on there is saying, like, so we have the drivetrain from John MacArthur. These are the essentials of the gospel. You can't get them wrong. But then there's other things in Scripture that, again, if it is all of, of, of the same importance, if it is just very clearly laid out, husband of one wife, I don't allow women, you know, in authority over me. These things are expressly made clear. Well, then you can't just dismiss it like Rick Warren does and go, I don't know what that could mean. It could mean anything. Oh, my goodness. It's so hard to understand what this. Let's look at Pentecost. Oh, there you go. That's These are the same people who probably say, you know, who believe in personal prophecy. And they say, I feel or I think the Lord is saying. These are those people because when they read the word, that's what they say too. I feel he's really saying this. I know he's, I know this is what it says, but I feel that he's really meaning this. Yeah. It's the same confusion. <laughs> Let's look at it in light of modern culture instead of what the apostles actually meant. So, you know, I think in my opinion, it's a purposeful dis- departure from the Bible. You know, I think you, Rick Warren here, you know, bowing to culture rather than to God. And he isn't the only one, though. I mean, there's many, like you mentioned, the uh, personal experience crowd that chooses that over the Word of God. Mm-hmm. But let, let's listen to another pastor, because Rick Warren wasn't alone. Um, we got the same thing, much the same thing from J.D., I think it's Greer. So let's listen to J.D. We ought to whisper about what the Bible whispers about, and we ought to shout about what it shouts about. And the Bible appears more to whisper when it comes to sexual sin compared to its shouts about materialism and religious pride. Not one time ever said that it was difficult for the same sex attracted to go to heaven. He did say it was easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle 
eye of a needle than it was for a religiously proud or materialistically successful person to enter into the kingdom of God. So, <laughs> Wait, who's that guy? I think it's J.D. Greer, I think is how you pronounce his name. It looks like Griar. He's so a pastor. He's a pastor. So again, right, like Rick Warren, he's determining what is important based on cultural sensibilities and not clear teaching in scripture. He says, you know, we ought to shout about what the Bible shouts about, whisper what it whispers about. And then he makes the claim somehow that the Bible whispers about sexual sin. That could not be <laughs> from the truth. There's almost no sin in, in the Bible that is more preached about and against than sexual sin. Wow. Um, I just have one here. So let's see if this is unclear or whispered about here. Um, Galatians chapter 5, verse 21, or 19 through 21. Do you want to read that? Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In most other translations of the Bible, where it says uh, that very first where the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, most of them, almost all of them, will say sexual immorality. Mm -hmm. And in most of these lists that Paul gives, sexual immorality is the very first sin that's always mentioned. Mm -hmm. And then he says it whispers about it, right? Is it even that big of a deal? Who knows the Bible's whispering? Although Paul ends by saying, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He doesn't go, those who practice such things, eh, I mean, I don't know, probably not great. I don't know what God thinks. No, he says, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Can that be more clear? That you know, sounds similar to what that pastor was talking about with the camel and the eye of the needle. Um, you know, he's trying to say it's harder for a rich man. Just as hard with all these as well. <laughs> right. Like they're both clear. Yeah. Again, though, the same, I guess, American Christianity, right? We just talked about the prosperity gospel and how they've muddled that you know, talks about how dangerous material wealth and that sort of stuff is to our soul. Mm -hmm. And they go, yeah, but God wants us to be wealthy. You're like, well, he warns against it a lot, but he wants us to be wealthy. And now here they're going, oh, that wealth part, that's very clear in scripture. Be leery of it. But sexual immorality, I don't know. Who knows? Too hard to figure out. It's a clear deception. It's purposeful. Well, I think their ears are really just closed to the truth. That's why it's a whisper to them. Just because they're hard of hearing doesn't mean everybody else is. Yeah, it's funny how the things our flesh gives into the most tend to be the things Scripture seems to be whispering about. Right. No, no, it's just the things your flesh desires. They are so you've closing tuned out their ears. What God is clearly saying. Yeah. So again, you know, claiming something isn't being shouted about. It's insincere um, when the doctrine, again, is clearly explained. So let's look at another supposed whisper from the Bible. This is Leviticus 18.22. You shall not lie with a male 
as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. <laughs> is that whispering? I don't, that seems very clearly, I mean, calling something an abomination is a stern word. <laughs> That's not like a, you shall not lay with a male as with a female because, eh, eh. No, it says it's an abomination. I think people are closing their ears. So does does Rick Warren read someplace in scripture that we don't have to take serious um, things God says if it's not spoken of often or expounded on? Um, is that how he is telling people to look at God's word? So... Maybe Adam and Eve uh, thought the same thing. Uh, God only told me one time not to eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So it's not a big deal if I do it. He only said it once. God didn't shout it to me, so it's not very important. Yeah, I think you see this, you know, people do this a lot. And it is good to back up your points, you know, when you're talking about the Bible, like, you know, hey, uh, this certain word or this phrase is used, you know, 58 times in the scripture. So you're like, wow, there's some gravity to that. I should pay attention. But like, yeah, no, if it's talked about one time in passing, one time. there it is. That's it, right? It doesn't mean that, well, all of the apostles didn't preach on this and Jesus didn't talk about it all. So all the prophets in the Old Testament didn't say it. So it doesn't really matter as much. No, no. If one of them said it, one time. One time is enough. And that's from God and it's enough. Isn't that how we are with our kids? Like <laughs> they disobey after, like, you know, you speak calmly. Hey, don't do that. Or hey, can you do this? Um, but then we're upset and we yell at them when they don't obey. And then they're like, why are you yelling at me? <laughs> like, I told you six times. Well, I mean, I didn't think you were that serious. You were pretty because, calm before, so it didn't seem that yeah, important. It's like the same All thing. Right. So it's like, well, maybe if I would have yelled these things to you in the first place, like you would have obeyed. And that's how I always repeat. Like, I don't want to nag, but can you get to this? You almost wonder <laughs> that's what it's going to be like standing before the the white throne of judgment. When God opens the book and is like, "Here's all the sins," you're like, "Whoa! I didn't think that was that big of a deal." And he's like, it "Says in my my word to you that you shouldn't do it." Well, I know. I didn't think it was that serious. Well, you're going to hell now. Whoa! What do you mean? Like, I told one, you, right? I mean, why wait one. till then to repent and turn away from know. it? I don't know. And it's like when your kids ask, um, "Why?" You know, when you say something, they're like, "Why?" You're like, "Because I said so." Like, we don't need it even to be explained in God's word. It's because He said so. That's it. Yeah. He doesn't have to say why at all. Like we can, we want that authority, but we're not going to let God have that authority. Okay. He said it. I don't need an answer, God. I don't need you to explain. How many times did things just happen to us? And we're like, why, God, why? Well, we're actually very <laughs> blessed to be living today when we have so much explanation. You know, imagine you're living back in the days of Exodus, when God is mm -hmm. first giving his law to Moses and he tells them about the importance of the incense to be burned. And then Nadab and Abihu go, well, I mean, this incense is almost as good. Let's go burn it. And they burn it and God kills them on the spot. And you're like, oh, it was actually pretty serious that we follow his instruction on incense to the T. 
right? At least we have the expl- explanation now of what happens. They didn't then necessarily. I so, know. But God was just as righteous and justified because they, you know, yeah, they didn't on listen. his holiness. So, But God did explain to Adam, if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. He did tell him. He still gave him an explanation. Yeah, absolutely. And he didn't listen. Um, well, and again, we're getting the shorthand in a sense. Yeah. Of all the discussion between Adam and God. But and- it was they believed God didn't mean that consequence. It doesn't matter if God, if you even think God meant the consequence or not. It still comes back to what did he say? But you're calling God a liar if you think he didn't mean what he said. That's what it comes down to is you're calling God a liar. In a sense, that's what Rick Warren is doing here. You know, I know the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write that, you know, male headship in the church and the home is a thing. Yeah, he didn't mean it, right? He was just sort of flying off the hand. I mean, I don't know what you would think. I I mean, I can't get inside their mind, but certainly you're dismissing or not believing necessarily what they're telling you very clearly. It is a thing. It is silly. Like, I'm not going to listen or take anybody in my life serious then unless they tell it to me 10 times first. It, It really comes down to like, do you view everybody like that? Is it just God? Or can we apply that to everything in life, to every authority, anybody who's over us? We're not going to listen unless they are loud and they say it often. Yeah, I wonder if Rick Warren handles his own church staff that way. Right. You know, I know I only wrote point number one one time, so it's fine if you don't pay attention to it and dismiss it. It's not a big deal. Like I'm sure he doesn't run his own church and staff that way, right. so... Um, But John MacArthur also, I guess, in a sermon, responded to J.D. Greer in his idea of whispering uh, in the scripture. So let's hear what John had to say about J.D. Somebody said that when God spoke about homosexuality in the scripture, he only whispered. I don't think he was whispering in Genesis 19 when he buried the entire city of Sodom and Gomorrah under fire and brimstone for homosexuality. And I don't think he was whispering in Numbers 25 when he confronted 24,000 Israelites that had illicit sexual relationships with Moabite women and God killed all 24,000 of them. His attitude has not changed. Yeah, as the fire and sulfur was falling from heaven, uh, I don't know, was Lot and them like, I don't know why God is being so... I wonder what upset him the most. Like, I don't think there was a whole lot of, uh, I guess, misunderstanding like, of what was God, going on there. You're being too severe. Yeah. Oh my. Maybe gosh. it was their. Uh, maybe they ate shellfish, and that's why God's so upset. No, I don't think there was any. I think they misunderstanding. knew exactly. Of course, they knew what was going on. <laughs> now, as far as JD Greer goes, he did post on his website. If you guys want to go and read it, he posted a clarification, as is the standard now, whenever you say something that riles anybody at all in the social media area, you have to go and give a uh, clarification, which, of course, as always, completely goes against what you said the first time somehow. But if you want to go and read his clarification, I'll have that down in the show notes. You can uh, see him deflect from what he said the first time. But, uh, you know, a lot of the problems with what J.D. Greer Rick Warren are doing 
Uh, well, I mean, there's a lot of problems, right? I think, but the two big ones that stand out to me, why this is an issue, you know, first would be how can a pastor tell the church, you know, that they're leading or shepherding over that something like sexual immorality is no big deal. You know, it's not a big deal to God. He's whispering about it, you know, whatever happens to be, but then go on to instruct against anything else that's, you know, say in that list from Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Like, how do you dismiss sexual immorality, but then go on to warn against outbursts of anger or drunkenness? You know, would your congregation not be asking, why are those so important when the mm-hmm. very first point in the list isn't important? You're like, yeah, I know sexual immorality, it's not whispered about who knows. Outbursts of anger that leads to abuse and racism. You've got to get rid of it in your life. And you're like, yeah, where else are they? That was like point six. But point one isn't a thing. Yeah. Why is that? Like, it just, I don't know how you make that point and keep your credibility. And I think that leads into the second problem. You know, you're teaching your congregation, I would say, in a sense, to dismiss or disregard what the Bible teaches if it doesn't adhere to their fleshly wants and desires. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm given to homosexual desires. Well, don't worry about it. God doesn't care that much about it. But drunkenness for you, that's important. You're like, oh, okay, I can handle that. And then a drunk comes in and is like, I just like to drink. I'm not a homosexual. And they're like, well, good, because God doesn't care about drunkenness. Just don't be a homosexual. Like, you're teaching them to disregard the Bible based on what they're already probably proclivities are to sin, um, which is dangerous, right? If you're sexually sexually immoral, don't pay attention to stuff about sexual immorality. you know, again, so if you're a drunk, don't pay attention to the stuff about being a drunk. Just pay attention to the stuff that you're not already dealing with and focus on that. It just, I think it's a really, I mean, I think it's a sinful way to lead your church, uh, a dangerous way. I just I wonder how these people even like raise their own kids. How do you, how do you discipline your own child when you don't even know the doctrine of sin how are you going to discipline your kid when they sin against you? You're not going to discipline them. You're just going to coddle them and be like, it's okay. I don't want to make you feel guilt and shame. It's just this mentality, like love people, just show them love, and then they'll receive the gospel. Yeah, if you're Is like that how it works with your own kids? You raising just- your kid and you're like, Johnny, don't hit your sister. And he's like, hold on, dad. I didn't steal from her. He's like, you're right, Johnny. <laughs> continue like no, they're both a sin we right? gotta take this into the it's real just, life if it doesn't make sense in real life it doesn't make sense here yeah settle down nikki yeah you're our kids were talking back and disrespecting you and disobeying you but they weren't overeating sweets so who cares <laughs> they're right not gluttons they're not gluttons it's <laughs> fine it's ridiculous but so why is this important to Christians, this idea of ranking doctrines, especially in light of what they were teaching here, drivetrain, essential issues, and then first-tier doctrines based on clarity in Scripture. Um, And I think it's important because as Christians, it should be our goal and it should be our desire as Christians to live righteously before God. Mm -hmm. And it should be our desire to live as righteously as we can before God and the danger of dismissing any doctrine 
I think is that it's a gateway, you know, it's a gateway drug, if you will, to dismissing any or all doctrine that just doesn't line up with our own sinful desires. Again, mm-hmm. hey, I love to eat. I got a sweet tooth. I'm a glutton. Who cares? Because that's what I like to do. So it's probably not a sin anymore, right? That is a, it's hard to, you know, what does the Bible even say about greed? I don't know. It's hard yeah. to, you know, well, that's because you're a greedy person, right? We it's should be the, desiring to live as righteously as possible. Yeah. And the easiest things to adhere our life to are the things that are the most clearly laid out in scripture. So I was just thinking how it's the opposite of eisegesis, reading something into the text. Um, You're, you're just doing the opposite. It's like you're removing things from the text. Yeah. You're reading something. You're saying something isn't there that is clearly there. Yeah. What is that word called? I'm sure there's a biblical yeah. Latin word for the opposite <laughs> of eisegesis. Uh, somebody let us know in the comments what that <laughs> is. But that's kind of what you're doing, right? Like you're reading husband of one wife and you're just sort of, oh, I don't know, I'm just not even going to pay attention to what that means. It's difficult, a lot of interpretation. All right, well, it's just a gateway drug. It leads you to dismiss much more because it just doesn't line up with your cultural sensibilities, if you will, or your sinful desires. So what should we do about it? I think we should trust God's word. That may seem simple, but you know, we should trust that God meant what he said. You know, we should be reading the Bible not to make it say what we want it to say, uh, but we should be reading it so that we can adjust our lifestyles to adhere to what we read. It's not always easy, it's not always comfortable, but that's what we should be striving to do. Um, and we should also not be letting a secular or religionless uh, culture tell us what the Bible says or should say, right? This is the Christianity Today women, you know, in ministry uh, debates that they've been having. Hey, feminism has ravaged American society for the last 60 years. So let's reread the Bible in light of feminism. So things like male headship, we don't care anymore because women, Right. You can't do that. You can't let a secular society tell you what the Bible says. And I will mention, we probably should have mentioned it earlier. I'm not going to suggest that every doctrine in the Bible is crystal clear. You know, I think even very important doctrines are difficult to come to a solid and like perfectly agreeable understanding on things like election, baptism, things like the end times, right? These are all very important doctrines, Mm -hmm. but they're not quite so easy and quite as clear cut as, again, things like sexual immorality is a sin, male headship in the church and home. These are much more clearly laid out, Um, you know? So there are some things that there can be healthy or, I guess, understandable disagreements on. So on that note... We did ask you guys earlier what you thought were some of the more clearly expressed doctrines in the Bible. I'd like to know what you think are some of the more or some of the less clear doctrines in the Bible. Which ones do you think? Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, end times, I think, is probably one that comes to a lot of people's minds. But if there's others, let us know. We're kind of interested in that. I think it'd be, I guess, interesting to figure out or see what somebody else sees as unclear because it may not be something that we think is unclear or something we think is unclear. Mm -hmm. You may not think is unclear. That'd be kind of interesting. So 
how should we pray about it? Because Christians should be praying about everything. Um, I think we should pray. We should be praying before we open mm-hmm. and after we open the Bible and read. I think we mm-hmm. should be praying um, for understanding. You know, pray that we would have our eyes open to the truth of what the Bible's saying. And I think we should also be praying that we would have um, the love for God and the courage to follow what he's commanding us. When we read it and it's clear that we would love God enough to follow it, even if it's against our own desires, our own wants, Mm -hmm. whatever it happens to be. Um, Because, you know, it's not easy to dismiss things like tradition or experience in your own life. You know, if you're reading the Bible about whatever doctrine, but you grew up doing something different or your family does something different, it's really hard to dismiss that and go against the grain that way. It takes some spiritual courage. So pray that God would give you that courage. and Don't just dismiss it and go, well, I know what it's saying, but we've always done this and it'd be weird if I didn't. And those people can't possibly be wrong. So I'll just ignore it a little bit, right? You grew up in the black church and it's kind of a matriarchal culture. So I'll just kind of accept female leadership in the church, even though First Timothy and Titus seems to be pretty clear that's not correct. I don't you know. You got to have the courage to kind of move away from that. It just comes down to you're ashamed of God's word. Like, what if you were to just take that scripture and read it to the congregation and say, this is what God's word says? Um, and we are we going to believe it or not? Just, just be cut and dry about it. Like, right, you should. And that's, again, why I think those who are called to be pastors are far fewer than what we see in America today. Probably far more people in pulpits that shouldn't be there um, because they don't have that courage of conviction and maybe that love necessarily in that the proper way for God and what he's taught us to where they're willing to lay anything aside. And again, it doesn't mean that they're going to come to the the same I guess, understanding 100% of the time. But again, we got a lot of pastors, the Andy Stanleys of the world that seem to be completely given over to what does the culture want? Sure, the Whatever Bible will say that. makes the culture feel accepted is truth to them because they put people's feelings and their emotions above what God has said. And yeah. then this distorted view of love your neighbor. Yeah, it's dangerous. So I think we should be praying for love for God, not love for man in the same vein. We want to love our neighbor, but right, loving God comes first. That is the first and great command. But then again, courage, because it does take courage to lay aside our our own, you know, preconceived ideas, our own, you know, experiences, our own traditions. That's all hard to lay aside. So um, yeah, pray for that. I mean, telling people the truth is going to hurt their feelings, but it could save their soul. Just like we discipline our children for the good of their soul. Um, it doesn't feel good in the moment to be disciplined. That's in scripture. In the moment, that? it is, is not. The, uh, the 11th commandment that Vody Bakum always talks about, like, thou shall be nice. Yeah. <laughs> the 11th um, commandment. And it's not enjoyable for us to discipline or to correct another person. A lot of people are even afraid to discipline their own children, so they're never going to go and steer a friend 
uh, to the truth of God's word when they're off the path. It's our job to to do that, to speak the truth in love. And that's loving God. Yeah, that's we love our neighbor in that right? way. If we steer them back from sin, we may just save a soul. James tells us. So, do you have any final thoughts on this idea of either drivetrain or just first tier doctrine that we've been discussing? Yeah, I, I guess, I mean, what John MacArthur said, like the, these are the important doctrines, but it it is our job to study the scriptures. And like you said, pray before you read the Bible, ask God to help you understand it because it is, it's a, it's a spiritual understanding and we can't understand spiritual things with a carnal mind. Yeah, I think it's just a fascinating way to look at and rank doctrine. Because again, we all do it, and I think we all have to do it to some degree. But just ranking it by way of clarity, I think is a very, um, I think it's a, I don't know if I've not looked at it that way in the past, but I think it's a fascinating and fresh way to try to look at, you know, what the Bible teaches us. And, you know, if it's very clear, then maybe it's more shameful that we dismiss it than some of the stuff that we may have considered in the past is more important, yet isn't quite as clear. You know, baptism, whatever, you're like, ah, oh, those Presbyterian, that infant baptism, those guys are, well, maybe that's not quite as clear as, well, you know, I, the non-denominational church down the street who believes in the same type of baptism as me, but they got female pastors, you're like, they're kind of dismissing a much more clear command, mm-hmm. you know? So I just think it's a, a fresh way to sort of look at it. So love to know what you guys think about that idea of drivetrain, but also um, clarity being a first tier way of looking at doctrine. So um, we aren't going to have a Bible topic today, but I do want to look as we uh, move on from the uh, MacArthur Center podcast just a few more news stories before we end the episode today. And you know, you guys know if you've been here for a while, AI creeps me out. Uh, I'm always on the lookout for it. So I wanted to add a couple stories from the world of AI that we wanted to mention, AI in the church specifically. So do you want to read this first um, headline? AI will shape your soul. Boy, that sounds great. Um, let me see. I just had a couple of paragraphs that I pulled from this. Do you want to read this paragraph? What does it mean to love thy neighbor when that neighbor is an AI chatbot? On its face, the question seems silly. If chatbots aren't people, then it doesn't really matter how we treat them. The most pragmatic position is to think of AI as a tool, not a creature, wrote Microsoft scientist Jaron Lanier for The New Yorker. Mythologizing the technology only makes it more likely that we'll fail to operate it well. Yeah, Mm. too late for that. Uh, (laughs) We in America make idols out of everything, and we will certainly idolize Mm -hmm. AI. And not only that, I believe we will worship AI. But um, do you want to read this one more paragraph? Let me see if I can find it real quick. Yeah, right here. 
Loving our neighbors in the age of AI isn't about the bot's dignity. It's about our own as creatures liable to be formed by our creations. And for Christians who are researching, managing software, and writing code, it's about making technology that contributes to human flourishing. So this kind of whole article here from Christianity Today, and it's a very long article, uh, but it discusses really the efforts of Christians that are working in the tech and the AI fields, you know, that they're kind of working to instill Christian values in what would be, I guess, considered more like general AI. Um, it also talks about how it's going to be important that um, we interact with AI, how we interact with AI is important that they talk about um, mm -hmm. because they make the case that the way that we interact with AI is going to bleed over into how we interact with humans. Mm -hmm. So we're in a sense, AI is training us in our behaviors. And they even make the claim in here that there are AI tools being generated that are almost training tools for behavior that people are using. Uh, and now they're kind of saying we need to bring that into the Christian world as well. Learn how to love AI so we can love our neighbor. And it's all creepy stuff. You know, AI to me in general is immensely creepy. Um, but one bit in this article stood out to me. Let me see. Again, this was a very long article. I'll try to find the paragraph so I can pull it up on the screen. It says, in other words... We're tempted to worship and serve what God has created instead of the creator. Mm -hmm. Romans 1.25, even more so because our newest creation isn't just mute wood and stone that cannot speak, but a conversationalist that can give guidance. Habakkuk 2.18-19, through 19. that conversationalist doesn't deserve the reverence that re that's reserved for God, but it does warrant respect. So again... Because um, it's going to be AI, it's going to be an idol that we can communicate with, and it will give good guidance with AI, I think is why it will be worshipped. You know, it made me think that I can envision a world not very far away where AI will be prayed to mm. because, you know, people are going to pray to it. Because it's going to give it their, it's going to give them their good guidance, mm -hmm. you know. Because there's so many people today, right? We just talked about Sarah Young who passed away. They want the fresh revelation from God. They need a new word from God, a word just for them from God. Mm -hmm. um, well, now they're going to get it with AI because again, it's not just a piece of wood or stone. It's going to communicate back, have conversations back, and give good guidance. And it's not just going to be there necessarily their imagination, like Sarah Young's most likely was uh, her imagination of when she's reading or praying to God, whatever she's thinking is from God. No, it's going to be an actual voice. It's going to be an actual thing talking to them. You know, maybe it could be a bot that looks like a priest, you know, as AI technology increases. You know, we've talked in the past how there were things like an a or a, a King James Bible chat bot, you know, so they're going to pray to this chat bot in my view, right? You could pray to it and you're going to get your revelation from God, you know, so, or at least they'll think that it's from God, though it's coming from AI. Um, so I can see that 
stuff like this will be worshiped and it will be prayed to, right? Why go to God for your prayer when he may or may not answer you? Go to AI. It most certainly will answer you and it'll be from God. I know. I kind of think about how you can just Google something. Um, like I, I'll look up scriptures that way sometimes because I don't know where it's at. And I'm like, where's the verse about this situation? Or because I can't remember what book it was in or, and then it'll bring up all the, you know, um, all the scriptures that are like related to what I typed in. So I feel like with, with AI, um, I don't know how it could be, I guess it's just whoever programs it and they leave those scriptures out if we're going to want it to give us like a daily devotional or something. Well, again, like, that's is it going to be fear, right? purposefully because... left out or only give it the <laughs> a certain version like it only has the passion. There's going to be a different version of the Bible um a different translation or version whatever the AI is going to use maybe or I don't know, it's going to have to give something else a different understanding. Well, this is my scripture reasoning. Own understanding. Say it all the time to go and get yourself paper Bibles, leather Bibles, and yeah. Not trust on e-Bibles or whatever happens to come down the pipe because nothing would be easier than them to change or leave out or include. And if you don't have something to reference that isn't changing, then sure, very easy. You know, instead of the King James Version, they're using the Queen James Version. And, you know, it's no longer husband of one wife, but, you know, person of one spouse. And now you're like, well, right. see, it says person of one spouse. Yeah. I mean, that's simple. So definitely. So the article mentioned something um, that I realized has actually already happened. Um, so it says, an AI chatbot can't give us hugs, go for a walk, or share meals at our tables. For Christians who believe in a word that became flesh, John 1.14, relating to AI means missing out on a key aspect of our human identity, embodiment. But assuming we continue to connect with real people on a fairly regular basis, the real worry isn't that AI will replace those relationships. It's that AI will inhibit them. So that last sentence there, um, AI will inhibit relationships. That's already happening with social media. Like Facebook has taken the place of face-to-face interaction. It has removed deep, meaningful relationships and replaced those once close friendships with just surface-level friendships. We just peer now into people's lives and skim past them instead of being with those people or talking on the phone even, uh, you know, hearing their voices, their tone in their voice, their emotion. So that tells the truth more than reading a text or seeing a picture on social media. Um, A personal letter even has more value than that Facebook relationship. So we've already lost touch with people and and we are addicted (laughs) to scrolling and being stimulated by the next thing that catches our eye on our phones. So we, and we worry about our phone more than we worry about our friends. So we are, we are so far gone uh, down this AI path than we even realize. And I was thinking, it's kind of like 
reading this stuff and being like, oh no, this is coming. We got to watch out for this. It's going to be it's going to ruin our relationships, but it's like, it's like we're trying to remove this speck with this article, but we've got this log in our eye in regards to seeing how enveloped we are in, in this AI world. Like we're, it's already taken over, but we're oh, worried yeah. about this, our relationships with people, it's going to replace it or it's going to inhibit it already has <laughs> yeah it's already ruined relationships i mean it's our you know people even i guess you would consider yourself to be someone who has friends and all but we don't see them we don't even interact with them on social media for the most part and all the interaction and really all social media has caused for most friendships is a diminishing of that friendship yeah because you don't want you know so what we have really now has inhibited we have a lot of friends but it's it's all just likes, maybe a comment for happy birthday or happy anniversary is what you do for some of your friends. And it's like we're keeping them at this like acquaintance level. There's no depth to your relationships on social media. Um, nobody's growing in friendship. You might talk about topics, things that you you share, articles you share, like it's like a topic, but it's not like getting into like knowing a person's heart um, like I have a friend who she's going through a lot of things, some anxiety, like real issues in life. She's not putting that on social media. It's that face to face. When you have like that eye contact with people, you can hug them and comfort them. You can cry with them. You're not going to do that on social media. <laughs> cry with your friends. But it's, gosh, it's this vul vulnerability that you don't have on social media. You can't. You can't comfort someone through Facebook. You can't give them. They, there's just the humanist, the embodiment. Like, Yeah, so rather than what this article tries to make the case that how we interact with AI is going to influence how we interact with people. But it already has. Right, but it's not going to yeah. do it to the positive way that they think it is. It's going to probably further ruin because instead of being trained on how to interact with other people. We're just going to start interacting with AI more and less interaction with actual humans. So definitely dangerous in my yeah. opinion. So, but that was just one story of AI from the last week or so in the world of Christendom. So here is another. Do you want to read this headline? Text with Jesus app. AI deities trivial trivializing Jesus and Satan. Let's read that. An artificial intelligence chatbot now offers a divine connection in your pocket by allowing users to text with Jesus. While the app's website acknowledges that the app is not intended to replace or mimic direct communication with divine entities, which is a deeply personal aspect of one's faith, the odd and almost worshipful fervor around AI's genius will almost certainly lead some to believe that even if the app isn't intended to replace or mimic Jesus, there is no reason it couldn't or shouldn't. <laughs> Text oh, with Jesus. My goodness. <laughs> and I promise that as this catches on, and it will, uh, I would imagine, there will be those who will make the case that God is working through the app to make his will known. Um, or through 
the AI that we talked about from the previous uh, article, you know, texting Jesus, I think for some and probably many will replace praying to God, you know, and I think mm-hmm. we know that this will happen maybe, or maybe that's why I'm fearful of it because I feel like I know that it's going to happen um, because we kind of saw the same thing with COVID when COVID came out, right? It very quickly became the jab is from God. It's a miracle mm. from from God. Therefore, getting the job or a jab became uh, how you fulfill the command from Jesus to love your neighbor. Now mm. you must do this, right? It was ridiculous, of course, but I think, you know, moving into this era now where you're going to have this app that you can text, right, and it will respond back to you, I don't think it's going to be any different from what many of the modern day prophets sort of offer, right? Because from my experience, almost all modern day prophets just take words from the Bible and kind of repackage them to say, we'll make um, it about yourself. We'll make it about yourself and put it into sort of modern mm-hmm. times, but it's nothing new. They're just kind of taking the words of scripture and then saying, God gave me this revelation. When in fact, well, he gave us all the revelation because it's in scripture, right? But somehow now it's a new revelation, right? God's going to tear down their high places. He's going to part your Red Seas. And you're like, that's just words from the Bible that you're somehow claiming. God gave you this fresh revelation, right? I think this is literally what's going to happen with apps like this. It may not necessarily be this app, but it's something like this, right? You know, you just put the Bible into a chat GPT-like system, a King James chatbot, and then it just responds to your questions based off of what's in the Bible, right? It's going to be the equivalent of modern-day prophecy, so why wouldn't people use it and it treat it from God? You know, I they know. go and listen to a modern prophet who goes, God's going to tear down their high places. And they're like, woo, God is coming to tear down their high places. And then you text Jesus and he says, you know, ask and you shall receive. And you're like, woo, Jesus wants me to be prosperous. He just re- like, it's the same thing in my, my opinion. Goodness. So I don't know why people wouldn't do this. And I imagine they will. That, however, um, is not all, folks. Here is yet another story from the Christian world uh, dealing with AI. Do you want to read that headline? Oh, that's all right. I used chat GPT for six months to help my pastoral ministry. Here's what worked. Since ChatGPT became publicly accessible last year, we've heard reports that artificial intelligence will replace jobs and disrupt other aspects of our lives. Such changes may not currently be apparent to individual local churches in Taiwan, but in recent months, a number of Christian thinkers have been discussing how AI might either aid or possibly replace humans when it comes to pastoral care and preaching. Oh my goodness. Who are the Christian thinkers that are like, you know... AI might just get rid of pastors. Make sure they're male AI. (laughs) They better be male bots. But, you know. Oh, my gosh. We know that there have been articles written in the past and stuff where people have used AI to write sermons and stuff like that. We just talked about texting with Jesus, you know, potentially praying to AI. And all of this, 
in all of these articles is to say AI is coming and it's coming for the church. And I would say it's coming faster than we probably expect it will. And I think there will be many in the, you know, supposed church, whatever you want to call it, that will be ready and willing to accept it. You know, again, rather because like this pastor saying here, he used it for, you know, six months for, you know, seeing what it is. So rather it's going to be pitched to them as a tool that's going to help them ease their workload, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it happens to be. I think it's coming and there's going to be a lot in the Christian church that are going to be more than willing to accept it and begin to utilize it more and more. And I think, I don't know, I don't think I know, it frightens me <laughs> a great deal. Um, yeah, you know, kind I don't of, see any good, any good coming out of it, but I but pastors, you know, like you, you always mentioned, the Andy Stanleys, yeah, they're going to do whatever the majority of their church wants. That's what they're going to do. So I don't know what most people think. I just, is there like a, is there a poll or something just to see what most people think about AI um, well, coming into a, certain areas? It's a slippery slope. It's a gateway drug in a sense, because there is some, you know, obviously... Computers have been around for a while, right? So this could be the slippery slope of, well, I already use programs like Logo or Logos or you know Esau or whatever happens to be to to quickly search That's references true. in the Bible and yeah. do these different sorts of things. And you know now just using Chat GPT, it's just a another. It's just like using Logos to help, you know. So it's like a slippery slope to where now it's like, well, I just. I gave them the ideas and they just kind of wrote my thoughts out into a sermon. And now like your pastor's not even putting sermons together. I think it's a slippery slope mm-hmm. that, you know, as with all technology has been a slippery slope that we've all essentially slid down into a bottomless abyss. But I mean, I just think looking forward, like with this new AI world that we're coming into, wow. I mean, what challenges that we're going to face as 21st century Christians, I think is, I mean, yeah. it's hard to wrap your arms around and try to figure out how the church is going to handle, especially, I mean, there's a lot of church leaders and stuff that, you know, and not to, I guess, speak ill about them, but they're older folks, right? Like they're not really ready yeah. for this and they're not able to maybe comprehend because they don't understand the technology quite as much. Not that I understand the technology really, but like- culture is just getting so cold. It is. It's becoming less, yeah, just getting away from um, the the image of God, you know, the things God created us, how, how to live. He gave us work, like the first thing he told Adam was work, work in the garden. Um, work is yeah. good for us. It's not good that we have AI taking over jobs. Like, I like working. I mean, doing work, you know, busy work. It's it's like therapeutic. Like I like cleaning, um, even like the mundane things, folding laundry. Um, I like gardening. It's like a therapeutic thing to do this this busy work. And if we don't have work, what are we? How are we even human? What does it mean to be human? Well, it's almost like we, you know, because we live in a social media culture, we live in a fame and a, you know, material society. And that infects the church too, right? I mean, so when you have a pastor that's like, oh, I just use AI to help ease the workload. And it's like, well, why don't you ease your workload? Why don't you just, you don't have to do everything. So like, you don't have to your... be focused on growth and, 
you know, all these different things that churches are, you know, focused on being more involved, doing more. We got to get out, you know, yeah. content every day of the week. We need yeah. to have email newsletters. You don't need all that. No, yeah. Draw down, right? Get more simple, maybe. Yeah. Maybe that's simple is better. That's why people are so stressed and full of anxiety. It's like all this unnecessary. I just wonder, like, are the pastors, they're just going to use AI to create a sermon and then they're going to speak it. But why? Why not just have AI speak it for you and you can just stay home and relax and, you know, you did your work, you put in your ideas and it made your sermon for you. But people already just go to church and they watch a simulcast. They don't even have their pastor there. That's been going on for decades. Well, and we've talked before how people aren't even going to church. The numbers of people that just do online sermons is increasing more and more. And they consider that to be the equivalent of church. So it's all a dangerous isolation. It's a goal of just isolation. And, and I, you know, it made me think maybe this is, as I become more fearful of this stuff, and I know fear is, you know, not of God. And I don't necessarily mean Well, it's a healthy that. fear. It's like a caution. Yeah, it's more frightened that like, yee, this is coming. But I think maybe this is why I have such a great love nowadays for the Puritans and the Reformers. Because in my opinion, I think rather than, you know, running headlong into whatever this new frontier happens to be, I think we as a church need to turn back. You know, I think we need to kind of walk back in a sense from the online only services, you know, the content creators that call themselves pastors. I think mm -hmm. we need to really just walk back from all of the technological serfdom that this nation and really this world seems to be begging for and kind of return to that idea of simplicity, right? Like the local fellowship, uh, mm -hmm. fellowships, leather bound Bibles, you know, old crack leather Bibles and acapella hymns, you know, whatever it happens to be, you know, I think if we're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world, I think we should start that maybe at least in our worship services in our worship to God, um, not being exactly like the world. I don't know. That's just a thought that came to me. This whole thing um, with keeping up with the culture, to be relevant. We're not called to do that. That's not in Scripture. It's like, it. it I don't know. I don't like it. It is like making me like creeped out. Just, just talking about it is like bringing me down. I'm like, well, what are we going to do? <laughs> it's not necessarily my intention, though it does um, creep me out. But, I know. Um, and again, Maybe we're going overboard, you know, with uh, AI and being creeped out by it. I would love to have you guys let us know if we're going overboard, if we're making too much of all of this AI nonsense, uh, all these stories coming out. Yeah. Can it be a, a gift from God to... Yeah. Are we going... Because pastoring is such a burden. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it shouldn't be, right? Um, so are we going too far with this AI stuff? Or are we not going far enough? Is it really maybe more than we're making out of it? And I will just mention, um, again, I kind of mentioned it earlier, and we talked about it a few weeks ago, please don't rely only on electronic Bibles. You know, if you only use your phone or a tablet, whatever happens to be, please, my recommendation would be to get yourself a nice, high-quality paper Bible, one that will last. Uh, I will have a selection of nice Bibles down in the show notes if you're unsure or just the ones that I would recommend. But 
I just think it's, if you don't currently have one or you maybe got like a cheap paper, I would just recommend, right? This, who knows what this new frontier is going to look like. Technology is just too easily manipulated. So my recommendation would be get a Bible that uh, doesn't need software updates and isn't connected to the matrix just for safety. Mm-hmm. So do you have any final thoughts on AI, Christianity, any of this sort of stuff that you haven't mentioned? I mean, all the topics, articles we talk about come down to read your Bible, study it, know what it says. That's what it comes down to. So you can't, so you won't be oh, deceived. And do what it says as well. Oh, yes. That's kind of know it and part. do it. Yeah. We all struggle with. Um, that's pretty much the answer to a lot of things we discuss. Um, you won't be deceived. All these things we talk about, false teachers and whatnot. Um, it's, it comes down to testing all things by the word of God. Yeah. And we don't have to look and act and do everything the same as the secular world does. It's not mandatory. You don't have to do it. So I don't know. Let us know what you think about. I mean, we've talked about AI a ton on this show and we aren't done. I'm sure of that. There will be more. So, but I do want to end on a more positive story, not the creepiness that is AI. So do you want to read this final article headline just as a palate cleanser, if you will? Archaeologists in Israel have unearthed a sacred Christian site in Jerusalem where Jesus performed a miracle by healing a blind man. The steps to the ancient pool of Siloam haven't been seen for more than 2,000 years. Yep. So archaeologists have uncovered what they believe to be the steps to the pool of Siloam. And I don't want to spend too much time on this uh, article here. I just want to point it out because it's neat. You know, we did an an episode maybe a month or two ago about biblical archaeology as sort of evidence to bolster our faith in the the Bible, really. Um, And here's yet another archaeological find that helps us see and understand, you know, the world in which our Lord Jesus inhabited. Um, So this pool of Siloam is from, it's referenced in John chapter 9, verse 11. It says, uh, he answered, the man who was called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed and I received sight. So just a neat little archaeological find there. Uh, the place where Christ gave a, a blind man his sight back, performed a miracle and told him to go wash in this pool. Uh, just you know, I like biblical archaeology again. Mm-hmm. Not that I question my faith necessarily, but it is always good to be reminded that what's in the Bible is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's accurate. They're real places, real people, real yeah. miracles, real works of God. And um, this is just, you know, more evidence of that. So mm-hmm. it's a neat thing. It is neat. This article will be linked down in the show notes if you guys want to go give it a read and f- see what they found and where they found it at. Um. But the Bible is real, folks. What it says happened, happened. So um, we will end here. Well, I guess we don't really have a sermon recommendation. Our recommendation is going to be the podcast that we talked about earlier from the MacArthur Center Mm -hmm. on drivetrain. There's a lot more discussed in there. 
they're obviously a lot, you know, more points made and stuff like that. So I recommend you go and listen to it and let us know what you think about it as far as a way to view doctrine, to rank doctrine. Um, what do you think are essentials? What do you think are first tier doctrines based on clarity? And how do you think this idea of ranking scripture um, is? Do you think it's a sound way to rank scripture or is there a better way? Is this bad? Let us know. We uh, always are interested in your guys' opinions. Do our best to get back to you when we can in the comments. So reach out to us. But that's all we got for today. We'll see you guys next week. God bless. Thank you.